now is chronic stress, right? So stress that has been at a very, very high level for a very long period of time. That is what the World Health Organization have defined as burnout. It's this chronic stress. But as you said a, a few moments ago, lots of people are not getting to the full point of burnout, which is the chronic stress, which can then develop the health conditions, the mental health conditions, all of the stress and strain that comes with it. But lots of us are feeling burned out, as in we have got nothing left in the tank. Hi there, this is Ben, and you're listening to the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. It's my gift to you, and it's totally free. This week, we are continuing to explore the incredibly important and timely topic of burnout with Kelly Swingler. Kelly is a burnout recovery strategist and coach for leaders who are ready to live a life beyond burnout. In her own words, she is a lifelong, high-achieving, overperforming, recovering perfectionist who thrives under pressure and who knows a thing or two about stress and jeopardizing your well-being because she reached burnout twice herself. Since then, she has spent the past nine years creating strategies and techniques to stop herself and her clients from burning out again. I'll leave Kelly to share more of her personal burnout story and more importantly, some top tips learned on her road to recovery and her ideas for how we can live and lead in a much healthier, happier and more sustainable way in just a moment or two. But before we get into this episode, let me just share some information about an amazing competition I have for you. So, I am mixing up the usual book competition and I'm supersizing it for you. Instead of giving you the chance to win a single book every time we have an author on the show, I'm going to be doing one prize draw at the end of each season in which you can win all of the books mentioned in that season. That means this season, in this competition I'm telling you about, you can win a copy of Empathy Works. Legacy in the Making, See It, Say It, Appreciate It, How Not to F Up Your Startup, plus a copy of one of my own books, Mission Leadership. All you have to do to enter is click on the link in the show notes and add your basic details so that we can get in touch with you if you win. So what are you waiting for, folks? Head to the show notes and click on that link right now. But that's enough from me for now. Let's get into this interview and my conversation with burnout prevention expert, Kelly Swingler. Kelly, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Ben. I'm excited to see where our conversation is going to go. Me too. It's a topic that's uh, close to my heart, actually, for lots of different reasons. But before we get into that, can you start off, please, Kelly, by giving us, I guess, a little bit of your backstory and the journey that's led you to doing the work that you do now, please? <sighs> How far back do you want to go? The majority of my career was spent uh, in HR, 
doing HR differently. I'd always been classed as a bit of a rebel, perhaps a little bit of a troublemaker, always trying to look for different ways to, to be doing things. So throughout my career, like 2008, we scrapped annual performance appraisals, uh, implemented four-day working in my consultancy in 2019. And one of my most famous talks whilst I was in the HR space was Burn the Handbook. And I still think one of my favourite pieces of feedback was like it was the best thing to come out of HR since the Netflix culture deck. So I'll, any any comparison <laughs> to Patty McCord and the Netflix culture deck, I will absolutely take. But I think in addition to that, like I was always, I suppose, an overperforming, high achieving perfectionist. And when I was headhunted to go and work in the organisation where I became HR director, my gut was telling me on first day, you need to get out of here. I thought this, you know, maybe it's just first day nerves, right? It's first first time at this level. Uh, six months later, this feeling in my gut was still like, you have to get out of this organisation. And I still carried on. And then two years later, found myself completely and utterly burned out as a result of the toxic environment that I was working in, uh, the bitching and backstabbing that was being taken, that was taking place at the exec level, uh, just a really poisonous, toxic place to go into. But I think the longer, the longer I stayed, it was almost like the more committed I felt to making the change, right? To turning around this workplace, to stop it being as toxic and as poisonous as it was, uh, and because every day there was something else that was that was kind of coming out of the woodwork. And yeah, I, I hit burnout really badly in, in 2013 to the point that I, I became really, really seriously ill. It wasn't until kind of, I suppose, part of my recovery. So seven months after after burnout had taken its physical hold of me, I ended up having to have two operations in 48 hours at two different hospitals. Wow. And as part of the recovery process for that, I'd had this day where I was watching kind of mind-numbingly boring TV and chat shows all day, right, as, as we do uh, in the days, you know, where it was kind of chat show after chat show after chat show on as many channels as, as possible. My measure of whether I was well and healthy was whether I was able to work. And, and my sons had come in from school and I think looked at me quite worried, actually. And my response was, you know, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Mum's going to be okay. You know, mum will, mum will be back at work soon. And uh, I have twin sons. They looked at each other, sat down on the coffee table in front of me and just said, but we don't want you to go back to work because we think your job is killing you. Wow. And it was in that moment that it was like, what have I been doing to my sons? What have I been doing to my friends and family? What have I been doing to myself for the last seven months? I mean, I was literally being rushed into hospital at least once a month, but still working from my hospital bed, right? I still have my laptop. I still have my phone. So whilst my body may not have been up to much, I could still use my hands. I could still use my voice. I was, I carried on working. Uh, in that moment, I, I really realised that something drastic needed to change. So I decided that I was going back to work. I was going to be fully me. And I was either going to change this organisation or I was going to leave. And I would make my mind up pretty quickly. And I think the first day back, having had a couple of weeks out of it and with this new kind of new way of looking at the world, really, I was just like, I'm, I, I can't stay but wasn't sure whether I kind of, I had this kind of niggling feeling that I didn't necessarily want to go into a new role, right? That I could make a bigger impact if I was 
doing something different. And so really made the decision there to, to start my people in change consultancy, uh, which is what I did. So uh, kind of January 2014, I started my own consultancy. I started to get clients through the door. But within kind of six months of me starting, I had been told that my replacement, the replacement HR director, had died in her sleep whilst away at a leadership residential. I had discovered that the three HR directors prior to me had all developed really serious health health conditions. And I think that became the start of like, something needs to change, right? This this wasn't me. This, this was the organisation. This was the culture. How many other um, HR professionals are experiencing this? And, and I reached out to the CIPD to say, like, what, what are you doing to support HR? They basically told me to get in contact with my EAP, so my employee assistance provider. I was like, I'm, I'm self-employed, but you're not answering the question, right? As a professional body, mm. what are you doing to support HR? I was basically told there was nothing. And, and that then became... I suppose the start of, you know, kind of burnout prevention, burnout recovery for me, I, I did a lot of training. I started, so in addition to my kind of psychology qualifications and my coaching qualifications and HR facilitation, all of, all of that stuff that many of us have, I started to study things like neuroscience. I got really kind of into understanding stress management, psychotherapy, hypnotherapy. Um, I started to do stuff around kind of energy and emotions I was doing, uh, started a, a master's in organizational change and development, which I was going to progress on to, onto a PhD to understand, you know, the kind of courage of leaders and started to really kind of join all this together. I created the world's first mental wellbeing for HR program, started to deliver that. But I think more and more over the years, this pull to really focus on burnout, because I know, I know we can prevent burnout, right? I absolutely know that we can prevent burnout. But it's down to all of us to prevent it, right? Us as the individuals and the leaders in the organisations that we work in. And it's just become my absolute driver and my absolute passion because I know that we can prevent it. And also I know that when we have been through it, we can we can just experience such incredible growth and transformation for us as individuals. And I, and I want to kind of facilitate that. So all of my work now really is around burnout prevention and recovery, uh, whether that's talks, books, workshops, coaching, programs, absolutely everything uh, is really all committed to burnout prevention and recovery. Hmm. Kelly, how old were your sons when they said to you, mom, we don't want you to go back to work. We think it's killing you. They were 12. Kids are super smart, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like it was it was a weird one because. I think every time like I was rushed into hospital, like my mum would come to visit me. My my brother and sister were living abroad at the time and they'd come back to the UK at, at varying different points. I was married at the time, my husband, all of my friends that were kind of coming in to see me were like, like something, something's got to change, right? Something's got to change. And, and I was just in, and I think this is the weird thing with burnout. Even though I'm sat in hospital repeatedly, I still didn't think there was anything wrong with me and I still refused to admit that there was anything wrong with me and I could not see literally could not see that anything needed to change as I've got all of these people around me like you've got it like you need some rest you've got to take time out you've got and I'm like no 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 like I've got to focus on the work like, I have to get the job done and I think this is the overwhelming thing with burnout I think I, I did earlier this year, I did a, a kind of week long, this is burnout campaign to really talk about raising awareness. And I think what was really obvious for myself and every single guest as we went through, every single one of us had like the pinnacle moment, right? The one moment that made us actually stop 
take notice and then that became the change and for some people it was you know sitting and putting their eyeliner on in the morning for the fourth time having cried and washed it off all day for some it was the moment you know sat in the toilet cubicle crying for the last time for some it was like the final panic attack that they'd had for some it was sitting on a tube or a train and and having this moment of what am I actually doing so I think we've all had those moments that one kind of pinnacle moment that is right now something has to change and for me mine was absolutely that that conversation with my sons that day yeah and that's interesting there Kelly you talk about those pinnacle moments where people who are experiencing burnout suddenly realize something has to change but from your own experience and all your experience of helping clients with this what are what are some of the key warning signs or things that we can perhaps look out for in ourselves or or those that we got the privilege and responsibility to lead if we're a leader or a manager? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot and I will caveat everything that I'm about to say with these things are not just exclusive to burnout. It could be something else. It could be something health related. It could be something work related. So I'm not going to say that these are all exclusive to burnout, but I do think there are some that are a little bit more obvious. I think from a physical perspective, like we can start to experience more headaches. We can start to experience digestive issues. We can start to experience sleepless nights. It could be a feeling of kind of heightened anxiety or panic that you might be feeling internally. Loss of appetite, those kind of things. So physically, we can be, be experiencing some of those things. For me, like this skin crawling sensation, it was as though my skin was on fire quite a lot. And it was like I just kind of was sat itching constantly. And even when the doctors were pointing it out, you know, like I had a reason, an excuse for everything. And I think that becomes something else, right? Every single thing, I'm, you know, I'm starting to get headaches more frequently. Well, that's just because I need my eyes testing again. I'm starting to have digestive issues. Well, that's just because I've been drinking a little bit too much or, I've, you know, I've been eating a you know, bit too rich food or like there is an excuse for absolutely every single thing that is happening to you. Like you can you can literally say anything for anything. But I think the two for me that are absolutely apparent in everybody, the first is kind of withdrawal. And it's withdrawal from everything that you ordinarily love doing, right? Whether that be mm. playing with kids, going out with friends, running exercise, yoga, watching your favorite thing on TV, putting your favorite music on, wearing your favorite clothes, wearing the, you know, wearing the shoes that make you feel good, listening to your favorite music, whatever it is, it's that withdrawal from the things that you love. And at the same time, this need to push harder and harder at work. Yeah. And it's like you don't even realise that you're doing it. I think we there are definitely kind of different stages. And I suppose this kind of burnout scale that, that we can get to. There's there's kind of, you know, kind of this end of the scale or one, you know, one end of the scale, which is, you know, starting to recognise that some things aren't quite right, maybe something needs to change. But the closer that we get to burnout, it's like we just lose all control, right? I yeah. might be working 16 hours a day, but I don't think that 16 hours a day is an issue because actually I haven't even realised that I'm working 16 hours a day. I'm pushing harder to complete all these projects, but I don't realise that I'm pushing harder to complete all these projects. I feel like I have to control everything, but at the same time, I don't feel like I, you know, I don't realise that I'm having this need to control everything. 
And it's so weird. It is like this constant spinning hamster wheel. But the longer that you're in it, and again, I think this is this is a real telltale sign. You know, burnout can take a very, very long time mm. to get to that pinnacle moment, right? You could have been in it for years. And the longer that you're in it, the more it just becomes normal. I think it's that kind of, although I hate this analogy, but I think it is that kind of frog in a boiling water analogy, right? If you put a frog straight into boiling water, it's going to jump straight out. Whereas if you put the frog in the boiling water, like in cold water and gently start to boil it around it, like the frog doesn't know any different, yeah. right? It just thinks it's a really nice jacuzzi. And I think it's that moment, right? We do not realise the longer that we're in it, we don't realise that the water is getting hotter. We don't realise that it's becoming all consuming. And we just start to think it's normal. And again, I think that is one of the things that's so apparent for me and everybody that I work with. It's like, I thought this was just normal. And it's not until you look back on it. I mean, I look back at it now and just think, like, how stupid did you have to be? And I wasn't stupid. And I would, you know, I would, obviously I would never say that to a client. I don't believe my, any of my clients are stupid. But in my head, it was like, how stupid did you have to be to not see what was going on? And now I just think, you know, it was the circumstances. It was that boiling pot just getting better and my need. And again, I think something else that is very apparent for, for those of us that get to burnout is the fact that we are dedicated, hardworking, passionate individuals that want to do a really, really great job. Like people that don't care, that are either lazy or disengaged, they're not burning out, right? They're just not burning out. It's those of us that are already pretty much giving everything we've got in our jobs anyway. And then we add this additional pressure and stress. So then we want to push even harder to do an even better job. Hey, quick one for you. I want to make sure that you know about my 10 for 10 leadership program. It's an online program that's totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It's also a course that gets consistently great feedback. You can find out more by heading to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com. Kelly, I, I love that frog analogy. I've not heard that for, for many years, actually. Um, but I think, you, think you're so right. And listening to you talk there, it, it really resonates with me on my particular journey over the past few months. And like I, I definitely didn't hit full burnout, but I suddenly realized um, that I was on the road towards burnout for, for sure. And the thing that made me realize, which I spoke about in the previous episode of, of this podcast, actually, was losing losing my very best friend to suicide just before before Christmas. But that point you mentioned about there being a, an excuse for every symptom that you're, that you're experiencing that resonates so much with me. And I don't know if for me it was an excuse in that I was trying to avoid it or if I just didn't didn't know like what what was going on and I didn't know it was burnout I was experiencing. But like headaches, for, for sure, I was experiencing those. I was waking up each morning with like a really stiff neck to the point where it's like, it, it's my pillow. I need a new pillow. My pillow's old. And, and if I get my pillow, new pillow, then, then it will be fixed. I still hadn't associated this until you just said it, but I had really itchy skin mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was linked to it. Maybe that was something different. Who who knows? But I'm not sure for me, it was just a, 
a lack of awareness and understanding, which in some ways kind of perhaps a little bit um, ashamed too strong a word, but kind of being a, a, a coach, I'm like, oh, God, wow, I, I really, I should have been a bit more clued up on signs and symptoms of, of burnout. Um, but it really resonates what you've just shared there. Mm, I'm so, firstly, I'm sorry to sorry to hear about your friend. Uh, thank you. That's that's very kind. Kelly, what would you say are some things that we um, could do if we are perhaps starting to notice these some of these signs and symptoms in ourselves, or indeed if we're noticing them in loved ones or th- those that we lead? What are some some first steps that you think we sh- we could or should take? I think, and this is where I suppose where I kind of come to the prevention side of things, because I think if we can all take action daily to keep our stress levels low, then what we do is we keep our we keep our awareness high, our self awareness, our self understanding. We keep that at a high that the lower our stress levels are. That said, we all need some stress. Right. We need stress to get us out of bed in the morning. We need that adrenaline. We need that drive. We need that motivation. So I don't want us to get rid of stress because I think it has an incredible space. But we we need we need to kind of keep those stress levels low. I think the, the first thing that I would say is is for us as individuals is if we are getting to that point of withdrawal, when we want to withdraw from things in our life, be it people, tasks, activities our role for me I think that needs to become the trigger because as we said we can all make excuses for headaches pillows necks skin crawling whatever whatever it may be but I think if we are withdrawing from the things that we usually do the question for me in that position has to be why am I withdrawing is it because I'm just telling myself I'm too busy, in which case that's a trigger that something needs to change, right? Is it because I'm not feeling it, in which case something needs to change? Is it just a case of I've lost, you know, I've lost my motivation for it, in which case something needs to change? So I think that can become the, like a really, I want to say easy, again, it's not always easy whilst we're in it, but if we are starting to withdraw, that becomes at least a good kind of temperature gauge, I think quite often then from what to do if we're experiencing this in others. I, late last week, I had a message from a CEO to say, can you help? I think one of my directors is really struggling. These are what I see presenting. What would be next steps? And I just, you know, either you can have a chat with them and ask them if they want to have a chat with me or or just give them my details. I'm now starting to to work with that director. I think we do see it in other people quite often. And I get messages from husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, daughters, godparents, aunts, uncle. You know, I think I'm seeing this in this person. Like, what should I do? And my advice there, again, is always maybe to, like, to signpost. And I say signpost because... When I was in it, as I said, I had every single, I say every single, the majority of my family, friends, colleagues saying to me, something needs to change. I was like, but there's nothing wrong with me. The more that people kept telling me that there was an issue, 
the more I kept feeling like I had to push, right? Because I kept feeling this was another sign of failure. If Benny's highlighting the fact that I'm not working properly, I just need to keep pushing and I need to keep working harder and, and I've got to keep doing this. So I think sometimes the more often we highlight it, the more that person will push. But if we can signpost to... I listened to a really interesting podcast yesterday that was talking about this. Maybe, you know, maybe give it a listen in the in the car or here's an interesting book that I've just read. Or do you know what? I, I just heard this talk and you might be interested in the recording because certainly what, what I see again, if people listen to podcasts, if people read my books, if people have, have sat in the audience of some of my talks, some of the feedback that I get there, like, wow, I didn't realize that was me until I heard you say it. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for, for all of us that have been to that point, really sharing our stories, because in sharing our experiences, I think we are highlighting to other, actually, this could be what you're experiencing because it starts to feel normal for, for, for the majority of us. Again, we don't know that anything needs to change. But if Ben or Kelly are talking about this is the thing that happened and these were the signs and this is what needed to change, it's like, oh, like I'm there too. So I think if we can just signpost, make sure we've got the, the resources available and just keep kind of, you know, positioning that to people that we're worried about, we can say, I'm really worried and I want you to have a conversation with Kelly, but that's not always going to be the best thing to do in that situation because what as I said what it can do is push people even harder to think that they've got to prove more work harder hustle harder and get even closer to burnout really I'm always amazed the universe seems to to align often so I'm just reading a book at the minute called Untangled which is about basically parenting kind of young girls as they tra transition through the teen years into into being young women because my daughter's just turned 11 and I'm just starting to notice like some changes in in, in her in her behavior and stuff <laughs> but what you've just shared there really resonates with something literally I read last night as I as I was going to sleep in the book the author was talking about she gave the example of if your young daughter isn't really engaging with with you as the parent around the conversation around puberty and some of the some of the physical changes and she said like for example if your son or daughter has locked themselves in the room and you're trying to get in to have a conversation with them that you can push on that door literally physically push on the door but your son or daughter is going to push back against the door and, and not let you in said alternatively you can just signpost to some resources or or have just a, a gentle conversation where you just share one or two things that might encourage them just to open the door a tiny little bit so then you can carry on the conversation. And the example she gave, again, back to kind of if your daughter doesn't really want to engage in the conversation around puberty, she said, well, maybe find a way to signpost them and give them some resources. So you might go and buy a couple of books on it and just leave them at the side of their bed with a note said, saw these in the bookshop, thought they might be interesting for you one day, and just leave them there. Don't say anything about them, just leave them there. And if they pick them up in their own time, they've got the resources and you've opened, you've opened that door. I, I, that re resonates with what you said. I think it can be really helpful, can't it? Just to, 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 to highlight it, to, to have the conversation more often and just signpost to some resources that people can have if they want them without sort of forcing it down their throat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that is, 
Uh, that is so important. And I, and I really love that example, actually. I, I was a, a very hormonal, angry teenager uh, for many, many years and uh, definitely had my parents pushing on the other side of the door. <laughs> but like, you know, my, my younger sister, for example, would kind of like slide notes under my door. Like, you know, I've left you some sweets outside or I've done something. And of course, I would also pretend to hate her as, as much as I hated my parents with everything that was going on. But actually just knowing that I could open the door when this little note was was kind of slid through was okay. And yeah, if somebody leaves something for you, I think that is a gift, right? If I'm recommending something to you, oh, Ben, I, I just read this incredible book. You, you might get something from it, right? For me, that feels much more of a gift rather than saying, Ben, I think you're really stressed and I think you need to do something about it. Like that feels very, there is something wrong with you. Whereas actually here is a gift of something, you know, I thought of you when I read this thing, I thought of you when I heard this thing. For me, that just feels so like loving and giving and compassionate rather than, oh my God, Ben, I heard this thing and I think you're at burnout. So I think you've got to, like, you've got to do something with it. And it doesn't matter if I kind of say it like in a really forceful way or really kind of like, Ben, I think you're at burnout. Right. There's still something that makes me want to go into defensive mode. Whereas if I just say, Ben, I, I heard this thing and it made me think of you or it made me think of the conversation that we had or it made me think of that thing we were talking about yesterday or, or like, oh, like Kelly was thinking about me at that point. Like that feels so much more lovely. Right. And again, like to the point with your daughter. Like I, I saw these books and I thought of you like, OK. And she may not she may not feel it in the moment. Have, you know 11 year old girls and again I've been there but there will be a point let's hope it happens before then you know but maybe if, you know if she then goes on to to become a parent and and then has to go through the same she will remember that day that those books were left on my shelf for me to then have a conversation about like they're the moments that are going to stick with her yeah totally totally and Kelly, do you think that burnout is more prevalent right now than perhaps it was sort of three years ago? Do you think COVID has had an impact on kind of people kind of experiencing burnout? What's your what's your take on that? Or, or do you think it's a case that we're just talking about it more? Yes to all of those. I do think it is becoming more prevalent. And I think it is becoming more prevalent because we are talking about it more. When I burned out in 2013, I didn't even like there wasn't even really a thing called burnout. Right. And and the World Health Organization didn't come up with the definition of burnout and, until 2019. Right? I'd, I'd gone through this in 2013, didn't know it was a thing. We're definitely seeing more statistics telling us that, that burnout is on the rise. And we've definitely seen burnout increase since 2020. So, so yes, COVID had, a th and even some people that were really pushing all the way through 2020, certain professions, particularly um, HR being one of them, uh, healthcare being another, teaching being another. Um, if we look at those three professions, then again, the statistics are telling us that, that burnout is becoming even higher in, in those areas. And, and if we look at all of the stress and pressure on those people throughout 2020, again, it's no real surprise. And the fact that burnout can be a is a very slow burn and can take years to, to come to the forefront. If we'd say it takes on average two to three years to really kind of shine its light, then I think that that's where we're at. 
But I also think there is an education piece needed. And, and I'm actually doing a, a, I've drafted an article actually this morning that I'll get out on, on my LinkedIn this week. That is about burnout versus feeling burned out. And I think for a lot of us, burnout is chronic stress, right? So stress that has been at a very, very high level for a very long period of time. That is what the World Health Organization have defined as burnout. It's this chronic stress. But as you said a, a few moments ago, lots of people are not getting to the full point of burnout, which is the chronic stress, which can then develop the health conditions, the mental health conditions, all of the stress and strain that comes with it. But lots of us are feeling burned out as in we have got nothing left in the tank, right? We're tired, we're overwhelmed, we're exhausted, we've got nothing left to give. And a lot of us are talking about that and calling that burnout because we feel burned out. And, and it may be semantics, but I think potentially there is a, there is a proportion of people that are referring to burnout when they mean tired, exhausted and in need of a holiday. But I also think there are people at burnout, the chronic stress burnout, like like I and, and many of my clients were, that don't even realise we're there. So if you were to give us a survey to fill in or do some research, I'm not ticking the box to say I'm at burnout because I still don't think there's anything wrong with me. So I think if we look at it from that perspective, I think we, we, some of us are calling it burnout when it's not burnout, it's exhaustion. But some of us aren't saying it's burnout because we don't know that we're in it until we've come through the other side. So I think if we look at it from that, guys, I think I believe a lot of this, the stats are giving us the, the true picture. Yes, it is increasing. Yes, it's becoming more prevalent. I think the more that we talk about it, more people are having the realisation that this is what I've been through. And yes, 2020 has definitely had an impact and has been at least one of the factors that is causing lots more people to get to the point of burnout. That's interesting, which leads me perhaps to sort of my final main question. And this, in some respect, people, some people might view this as a slightly controversial question it's probably slightly playing a little bit of devil's advocate um, and i probably need to caveat this 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 isn't my view actually because especially having kind of recently lost my friend and seen firsthand just how quickly someone's mental health can can deteriorate i'm, I'm by no means belittling it what's whatsoever but do you think there is a danger that as we start to talk about burnout more and potentially as we start to talk about mental health a lot more that it almost starts to become a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy to your point people experiencing feelings of being burned out but not being at being at burnout is there a is there a danger there does it does it really matter is it is it just semantics I mean like for example if like we know the power of language right if we get up one day and then all of that day, all of that week, we're constantly saying to ourselves in our head or saying to other people when they ask, hey, oh, I'm really stressed, God, I'm really stressed. Then we know that we're going to start to feel feel really stressed. Is there is there a link or a danger there with, with burnout as well, do you think, or, or not? I think there is to some extent. And again, I, I suppose to, to caveat some of this stuff or, or, or give a bit more of an explanation to it. I can remember when I was in corporate, right, and things go through stages, right? We know that things go through stages. So years ago, when I first started in corporate, everyone was busy, 
Right. Hi, Ben. How are you? Oh, I'm really busy. How are you? I'm really busy. I'm really busy. Yeah. And that, that went yeah. on for years. And it was like, if you weren't busy, you weren't successful enough. It's like a badge of honour, right? Busy is a badge of honour. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So we would wear that badge of honour as being busy with pride, right? I'm really busy and therefore I'm really important and, and I get all of this stuff done. On the other side of that, we then kind of moved from busy to stressed. Everybody's stressed. Oh, my God, I'm so stressed. I'm really stressed. This is this is really stressing me out. And as you said, and I think for some people, the more that we tell ourselves that and, and language is important, self-talk is absolutely important, the more that we talk about stuff, of course, we can perpetuate it, right? If I'm going to bed every night thinking I'm stressed or saying I'm stressed and then waking up the next morning saying I'm stressed, all I'm going to be all day is stressed. But I also think from, from the burnout perspective, I think yeah. the fact, and even just calling it burnout, in this, and, and it's a really weird one, I genuinely do not think the word burnout or even the definition that the World Health Organization have created i don't think that fully encapsulates just how serious burnout can be mm. but i burned out twice the first time made me seriously seriously ill the second one quite literally killed like nearly killed me and seven five months after my second burnout i i wanted to end my own life right that that's the point that, that i had got to because of everything that, that was going on for me. And I don't think we can underestimate the severity. And I genuinely say, had I not have done the training that I had done around neuroscience and psychotherapy and hypnotherapy, I don't think I'd be here. Wow. I literally do not think I would be here. But there was something that popped out of my head that was like, okay, this is, we need to get you from this part of your brain to this part of your brain in order for you to be able to move forward. And that's what I made sure happened. And it took a lot of really deep conversation for a good few many hours but I then eventually made the step that started to see me come through things in a, in a very different way so I think the fact that we talk about it is important but I think it's our self-talk that can be the thing right I want to be talking about the fact that burnout is chronic stress and if people want to call that burnout exhaustion or whatever, like as, as long as they're talking about it and recognizing some of those symptoms in themselves to get them to change it, quite frankly, I don't care what you call it. I used to, because I used to think, well, you don't understand the severity of burnout. You have to understand that burnout is this thing and feeling tired is this. But actually for the individual, it makes no difference what we call it, as long as they can give it a label, right? And I think... I was having a conversation with somebody about this last week. Labels can be really helpful, but they can also be really harmful. If I'm just sat thinking, like, I just, I don't, I can't describe what I'm feeling. I can't describe what I'm going through. I can't, like, there isn't a word to describe it. And because there isn't a word to describe it, I don't feel normal. I feel like I'm the only one experiencing this. I, I want whatever it is that I'm feeling to just stop because I, I don't feel normal and I don't feel like when we're in that part of it, if the word we like, oh, Ben, I'm, I'm feeling really burned out. If I can give it a label, then I can hopefully start to do something to make the change. But if we can't label it and we don't understand that other people have been or experienced the same, then I think that's where we could go, go through the same situation. And we do see the rise in things as we start to talk about them you know if we look at the rise you know in in women for example like women being diagnosed with adhd last year we could say 
well, that's just because, you know, now it's become a thing and we're diagnosing every woman that we know with with age. Of course, that's not the point. But the more that we talk about it, the more people are able to go, like, that's me, right? For my entire life, that's what I've been feeling. And now I've got, you know, that now there is something that I can do to it. Same as if we talk about menopause, right? Lots and lots and lots and lots of women just thought I'm going crazy, you know, my mum, when, when she started going through the menopause, was basically told she was having a midlife crisis until she saw a new doctor. You know, we talk about the, you know, the Davina effect and all this stuff around with, but but actually it made a lot of us, oh, like that's what I must have, right? I need to go and speak to a doctor. So it stopped a lot of us feeling abnormal and like there was something wrong and gave us at least a label to start with. And and I think it is the same with mental health, you know, whether we're talking about stress, anxiety, depression, mental health challenges. I think the labelling it is the first step to that awareness and hopefully then the first step of getting the help. But if we can't give it that label and we just sit there feeling abnormal and like we don't know where to go and we don't know where to turn or I think that's more dangerous than giving it a label and hoping that that we, you know, then start to take in the take the steps to make the change yeah that that resonates and makes so much sense because i think as well if we feel abnormal that can often make us feel feel alone right and if you've got any sort of mental health challenge or or any degree of of burnout feeling alone is is arguably probably one of the the worst places to to be right because um, one of the ways to to come back from it is really pulling on and activating and using using the support network I think so so yeah I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly absolutely absolutely yeah. Kelly thank you so much for sharing not only sort of your professional knowledge and expertise in this area but your your personal story and experience I think it makes it so much more relatable for for people before we wrap up, if people want to get in touch with you, find out more about your work, how you could maybe help them or their team, what's the best way for them to do that, please? LinkedIn is where I'm most active. So just Kelly Swingler on LinkedIn. But, I re, you know, resources, blogs, podcasts, uh, free resources, all of the stuff that you would need um, is over at kellyswingler.com. Uh, and there's a, there is a, a freebie section with, with all of the resources. So if you scroll down into the footer at kellyswingler.com, you'll find the link where you've got blogs, podcasts, resources, free masterclasses, everything that you would you would possibly need there. Fantastic. We will pop both of those links in the show notes for you folks. You don't even need to go hunting. Just click on the show notes, scroll down and you can go straight to Kelly's LinkedIn page or or her website. Kelly, one final time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you very much for for inviting me. It's it's always great to be able to to talk about this, and I and I genuinely hope it, it has been helpful. So if you know, if I always say if these con- conversations help one person, then then they've been fully worth it. So thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. There you have it, folks. What an episode that was. What a powerful, useful conversation. It was an absolute pleasure and delight to be able to interview Kelly Swingler on your behalf. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode, folks, and whether it resonates with you. So please do connect with me on LinkedIn. You can get in touch with me there via Ben Morton Leadership. Or again, you can click on the feedback link in the show notes where you can let me know what you think, suggest any questions or future guests that you'd like me to interview. 
And whilst you're in there looking for that link in the show notes, do remember to enter that book competition to win five amazing books from this season of the show. And the final, final thing, before you go, could I ask you to do one thing for me that will take no more than three or four minutes? Wherever you're listening, folks, please, 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 could you leave a very short one or two sentence review of the show and give us a five star rating? It really does enable us to keep bringing you more and more episodes of the podcast, which I desperately want to do. That is it for this episode of the podcast, though, folks. I hope it's been of value. I hope I've been of service. Until next time, look after yourself, look after those who've got the privilege and responsibility to lead, and as always, lead on. Lead on.